indeed, so you're welcome, giving you a little heads up now. If we haven't uh, met yet, my name is Dominic Mass. I serve on staff here as our student ministry pastor, and it's my privilege to be able to dive into God's Word with you this morning. But before we get to the message, I have a quick shameless plug for all of our students, because uh, that's my job, and all of our students' families. In two weekends, we are taking the Student Life Weekend Retreat, where both middle school and high school are invited to come out to Skyview Ranch with us and have the time of their life. We're going to be talking about what it means to belong to Jesus, what it means to belong to one another, and we're just really, really excited for that weekend. So if you're a middle schooler, a high schooler, or a family connected to a student, go on our website check out the details and get signed up. Heck, even invite some friends. We are really, really excited to see that weekend be a highlight for our spring semester with students. All right, shameless plug over. Let's go ahead and get into this morning's message. And this morning's message is a part of a sermon series that we've been in for a while now called 40 Days with Jesus, where we've been spending time in the Gospel of Luke. And we've really put a lot of resources behind this series because we want it to be more than just a sermon series, right? We have a reading plan, we're teaching our kids, we have community groups going through it, and we pray that it's been an experience for you that really is drawing you closer to Jesus as we get closer to Easter Sunday next weekend. And this morning, we're going to be spending time in Luke chapter 22, we're going to find Jesus sitting down to a meal right before the events of Good Friday and Easter. And in this meal, I think we're going to see three things really come to life. These are going to act as three points for this morning's message. We're going to see beauty, betrayal, and what it means to be loved. Beauty, betrayal, and what it means to be loved. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke 22 with me. If not, don't worry, we're going to have the scripture up on screen, and I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. This is what Luke 22, we're going to be reading verses 14 to 23. This is what it has to say. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine, he gave thanks to God for it, and then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread, he gave thanks to God for it, then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. This is God's word, and it's true. And this kind of feels like maybe some family dinners you've been at, right? Things get a little awkward really quickly. Because right? in this one meal that Jesus is sitting down to with his disciples, there is such beauty, but it all ends in betrayal. Let's start with the beauty. That 
brings us to point one of this morning's message. Let's start with the beauty behind this passage, right? And I think there's actually three things found in these verses that point us to the beauty of who Jesus is. So I'll put them up on screen for you. There's a moment, a meal, and a promise. So let me walk through those three things to really unpack the beauty that we can see in Jesus in this passage. First, let's talk about the moment, right? What is the moment that Jesus is creating for him and his disciples? It's a moment of intimate connection, right? Isn't that what meals do for us? Right? It's amazing how food can really bring down the walls that people put up, right? Think about your closest relationships, whether it's your spouse, your kids, your best friend. You probably often eat with them, right? Because in sitting down to a meal, what's happening is whether you realize or not, you're creating space in your life for intimate connection. You actually want to get to know someone. You want them to know you. And Jesus does that not just in Luke 22, but all across his life and ministry. If you're paying attention to the Gospels, Jesus is constantly sitting down for dinner with people. Sounds like my kind of guy. Let's get to the food, right? No. <laughs> but Jesus is sitting down to dinner with people that really span the whole spectrum of society. Right? He sits down and he has dinner with the tax collectors and sinners. He sits down and he has dinner with the Pharisees, right, the religious elite. And right now, in Luke 22, he's sitting down and he's having dinner with his closest friends, his disciples. What does this show us about Jesus? How does this point us to his beauty? It shows us that Jesus is the kind of person who makes intimate space available for you to connect with him, for you to connect with with God. And I, I wonder if this is the Jesus that you have in your mind. I think it's really easy to get a picture of Jesus in our mind that's actually divorced from the Jesus that we read about in Scripture, right? We get a picture of Jesus that's informed by traditions that we grew up in, or the culture we live in, or the way politics are bending and, and kind of twisting him to fit a certain narrative, right? But does your picture of Jesus see him pulling up a chair to your table? creating intimate space for you to connect with him. That's the Jesus of Luke 22, right? That's one of the reasons he's so beautiful is he creates moments like this one. But it's a moment happening over a meal. So let's talk about that meal because that meal actually points to another beautiful piece of who he is. In verse 15, Jesus says that he's been really eager to sit down and enjoy the Passover meal with his disciples. Now, if you haven't really been around the Bible for a long time, and you kind of hear that word Passover, and you're like, what? I, I don't know what's happening there. Let me give you kind of a crash course through what God did in the Old Testament. The Passover meal is a meal meant to trigger a memory for the people who eat it. So Jewish people for thousands of years now have been eating the Passover meal every spring. So around this time, Jewish people will gather, they'll eat this Passover meal to trigger a memory for them of something that God did in a beautiful way in their past. Because the Passover meal is connected to what God did in the book of Exodus. You see, in the book of Exodus, God shows up in a really ugly moment but he brings a beautiful rescue out of it. He finds his people, the people of Israel, in bondage, right? They're slaves in Egypt. They've been there for 400 years, but God shows up with a beautiful rescue for them. And the way he rescues them is he comes to them, he says, hey guys, I'm about to liberate you. I'm about to rescue you, but I'm gonna do it through pouring out my justice on the evil of Egypt, and part of me pouring out my justice on the evil of Egypt means that tonight I'm going to come 
And anyone who doesn't put their trust in me, death and destruction will be visited upon their household. But if you want to be rescued in my justice, all you have to do is trust me. And the way you can trust me is by sacrificing a lamb on your behalf, a perfect, innocent lamb. And in doing so, you will show that you trust me. And when my justice comes on all the houses of Egypt tonight, if I see that you have trusted me by making a sacrifice, right, having a Passover lamb, what will happen is my justice, instead of being brought down on your family, will be brought down on that lamb that was sacrificed on your behalf. And if you trust me in this kind of way, you'll have a rescue through my justice. You won't meet my wrath in my justice. And so sure enough, the next morning, everything happened exactly how God said it would. Everyone who put their trust in God found rescue in his mercy because his justice, his wrath, had been poured out on the sacrificed lamb that they had kind of made on their behalf. But all the households in Egypt who didn't put their trust in God, well, they felt that death and destruction meet them that night. So the Passover meal is a beautiful one. It's pointing back to this beautiful moment where God rescued his people out of Egypt. And this Passover meal actually says something beautiful about Jesus. Because in the middle of this Passover meal, Jesus starts to make a proposal to his disciples. This brings us to the promise that really ties it all together for us. Let's talk about the way that we make promises today, right? Uh, two years ago, I bought a really expensive piece of jewelry, a ring. I got down on my knee, and I proposed to my now wife, right? Often today, we make promises with symbols, right? I got down on one knee, and I said, hey, if, if you want to enter into a life of marriage with me where we come together and do everything as one, take this ring, and by doing so, when you put it on your finger, you're agreeing to step into life with me. And friends, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here in the Passover meal. Right? We might not see it that clearly because we're used to rings and other symbols of commitment, but in the ancient Near Eastern world, the way that you made a proposal to someone, whether it was a marriage proposal or a business proposal, is you took bread and you took wine and you sat down with them and you covered all the terms and agreements. And if they agreed to it, they would eat the bread with you, they would drink the wine with you, and then from that moment on, as soon as they got up from the meal, what was symbolized in that entire imagery and that entire process and tradition was that they were now one with you. So what is Jesus doing here at the Passover meal, right? This meal that is triggering such a beautiful memory of God rescuing people in the past. What is Jesus doing? He's making a proposal to his disciples. Did you hear the terms and the conditions that he lays out in verses 15 to 20, right? He says, this bread and this wine, they're not just a symbol of my commitment to you, but they actually represent what I'm about to do. Because here's the proposal. It's me for you. My body, my blood poured out so that you might have a new relationship with God. A relationship that's not marked by his wrath, but a relationship that's marked by his forgiveness, his mercy, his love for you. In the midst of this beautiful moment where they're having this beautiful meal, Jesus makes a beautiful promise right, of it's him for them, it's him for us. And here's the beauty of Jesus, right? I, I hope if you're getting anything out of this first point of his beauty is Jesus shows us a God 
who is not just rescuing people in the past, but he is committed to rescuing people right here, right now. That's the beauty of this passage. That's the beauty of this moment and this meal and this promise. Jesus is saying, yes, as we remember what God did in Egypt, wake up and see he's doing something right here in front of you. And that is so, so beautiful to encounter. But the temperature in the room is about to change because we now arrive to point two of this morning's message, which is betrayal. Verse 21, right after this beautiful moment, this beautiful meal, this beautiful promise, what happens? Jesus drops a bombshell. He says that in the midst of this beauty, there is betrayal stewing. Right? He, he says that someone in the room is about to betray him in verse 21. So let's kind of sit in this betrayal, because if you're uh, familiar with the story of the gospel and the events that are about to happen in the next 24 to 72 hours in the life of Jesus, you know that the person who is going to betray him in the most dramatic fashion goes by the name of Judas Iscariot. There's a reason why none of you named your kid Judas, right? It's pretty well known, right? He kind of steals the spotlight for betraying Jesus. But let's not move so quickly past the betrayal, because I actually think there's something deeper here. If you keep reading past verse 21, in verse 23, the disciples react to the news that Jesus just dropped on them. And what do they do? They start looking at each other, kind of pointing the finger. Paranoia breaks loose on the room, right? They're looking at each other. Are you going to betray him? Is it me, right? What is he referring to? And I think there's good reason for the disciples to have such paranoia. It's because they understand and they believe that betrayal is lodged in the heart of every human being towards God and towards one another. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you and I, we take a step back and look at the bigger picture of what Scripture is communicating, what the story of the Bible is telling you and I is that betrayal has marked the human story ever since we left the Garden of Eden. We've been betraying God, and we've been betraying one another. The book of Romans puts it as sin. And Paul, the author of Romans, says everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. We all betray God and one another. There's a reason why the disciples are so paranoid in verse 23. It's because they know betrayal has a home in their hearts, that they're capable of betraying Jesus. They're capable of betraying one another. And so this morning, even though you and I know that Judas steals the spotlight of Jesus' betrayal, we also need to recognize the deeper truth that all of us are responsible for Jesus' betrayal. In fact, I would even say that these 11 disciples are going to betray Jesus in the next 24 hours. Because if you keep reading, about three hours after dinner, Jesus and his disciples are in a garden praying. Judas shows up with a murderous mob to arrest Jesus. And what do all 11 disciples do as soon as Jesus is arrested? They desert him. In fact, one of Jesus' most kind of enthusiastic disciples, Peter, denies him three times. So let's be honest here. We can't just point the finger at Judas. Because if we're paying attention to the Bible, what the Bible ends up doing is it acts as a mirror, and it gets out in front of us, and it shows us that the person that we've been pointing at this entire time is really ourself. I wonder if you see yourself that way. I wonder if you're honest with yourself 
enough to recognize that you have betrayed God. You have betrayed people around you. This is what it means to be a broken person. This is what it means to be a sinful person, to live in a world marked by betrayal. I think it's actually one of the reasons why sometimes when you and I get together for church, we feel a little uncomfortable. We feel like we shouldn't be in the room because we know deep down, man, we have betrayed some people. We have betrayed God. But in the midst of betrayal, that's where we learn what it means to be loved by Jesus. This brings us to the third point of this morning's message, learning what it means to be loved by Jesus. So are you ready to kind of get into Judas's sandals for a moment? (laughs) I think if anything, the Bible is showing us that we have far more in common with Judas than we do with Jesus, but there's this little human default that we all have to try to read ourselves into the hero of the story. Right, but that's not us, right? So let's get into Judas's sandals. And in doing so, I think we're going to learn some surprising truths about what it means to be loved by Jesus. Right? First, let's just arrive to the Last Supper, right? That's what we just read about in Luke 22. Let's try to look at that meal through Judas's eyes, right? Knowing you're about to betray Jesus, what would surprise you about that meal? First and foremost, I think the order of the meal would surprise you. Because Jesus has a very particular order to the way that he sits down with dinner. He sits down, he creates this beautiful moment, right, with this beautiful meal, and then he makes this beautiful promise to everyone in the room, including Judas. If it was you and me, we would have flopped the order. We would have been like, hey, uh, someone is a rat in this room, and they need to exit stage left immediately before I get into this beautiful, intimate moment with my disciples, right? We would have booted Judas, first and then had the beautiful moment. But Jesus actually has a place for Judas at his table. Jesus offers himself freely to everyone in the room, including Judas. I think the truth there that surprises all of us is that if Jesus would have booted out all the betrayers in the room before he got to making his beautiful promise, there would have been no one in the room with him. That's the truth of it, right? None of us would be invited to Jesus' table if the condition was you couldn't betray God and you couldn't betray your neighbor because that's what all of us have done in life. There's something beautiful about learning what it means to be loved by Jesus because when you realize that in Jesus' love, he actually invites you to his table even knowing your betrayal. (laughs) He had a spot at his table for Judas even though he knew what was coming hours later. There's a spot for you here at this church, here in this community, not because you're perfect, but because Jesus says, yes, my community can be a community of belonging for people who have messed up, who have betrayed God, who have betrayed one another, because what I'm about to do on the cross can change all of that. So let's fast forward a few hours. What else surprises us if we're in Judas's sandals, right? A few hours later, Judas shows up to the Garden of Gethsemane with a murderous mob to hand Jesus over to them to be arrested, and eventually Jesus will be led to his death. But when when Judas shows up with this murderous mob, what does Jesus do? He does not get up and run in the opposite direction, find a horse, and get out of Jerusalem. No, instead, he wakes his disciples up. He says, guys, get up. The hour has come. Let me go 
enter into my own betrayal, right? Jesus marches headfirst into his betrayal, right? This is not the way that we get betrayed, right? Because if you and I sniff betrayal around any corner, we, we usually get pretty defensive and we look out for it. We try to guard ourselves. But Jesus is different. He steps right into it. In fact, even when he's getting arrested, right, Peter, that enthusiastic disciple of his, pulls out a sword and chops off the ear of one of the temple guards who's arresting Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes Peter, and then he heals the guard's ear. It seems like Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen and stepped super intentionally into it anyways. Jesus walked right into betrayal. And this is really what it means to be loved by Jesus. It's to see Jesus step into our betrayal so that we might not receive the wrath of God, but the forgiveness of God. Jesus was intentional for a reason that night. He stepped into Judas's betrayal for a reason that night. It was because that was how he would be the Passover lamb. Not just for Judas, not just for the disciples, but for you and for me. To be loved by Jesus is to see him step into our betrayal so that we could receive the forgiveness of God instead of the wrath of God. What Jesus is doing in this moment is he's stepping in to take away all that you and I deserve. <laughs> in a sense, he's fulfilling what uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul describes this moment in this way. He says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. <laughs> He's a Passover lamb that's greater than the one that Israel had in Egypt. He's one for all of us, for all of mankind. He's stepping in to absorb the consequences for our betrayal so that we not, might not receive the wrath of God, but the mercy of God. And this is profound. Guys, this is what it means to be a Christian. If you're here today and you're wrestling with kind of what it means to be someone who's on a spiritual journey and you're checking out Jesus, you're checking out this church, I just want to let you know quite simply this is what it means to be a Christian. Is to say, yes, the body and blood of Jesus is enough for me. He stepped in as my Passover lamb. Even when I betrayed God and I betrayed others, Jesus stepped into the penalty for that betrayal so that I might receive the forgiveness of God instead of the wrath of God. That's what it means to be a Christian quite simply, but that changes everything about life. And if you're willing to take that step of faith this morning to say, yeah, I believe Jesus' body and blood is enough for me. He can be my Passover lamb. I want to invite you, make a decision today to trust him, to follow him. Pray with someone. We're going to have a prayer team up front after the service. We want to go on that journey with you. But now let me talk to you Christians in the room, my brothers, my sisters, people who have made that decision before. I want you to see something beautifully true in this moment. Because Jesus has stepped in on your behalf to rescue you from the wrath of God, he stepped into your betrayal so that you wouldn't experience the wrath of God, but his forgiveness, this, this is true of you. You no longer own your sin. No longer. It's not yours. So every time you're living in the shadow of shame, every time you're staying up late at night, just replaying mistakes that you've made in your head, you are confusing the Son of God because he stepped in on your behalf to own all of that for you. 
so that you wouldn't have to shoulder that shame, so that you wouldn't have to live with that mistake replaying in your head. Jesus went to the cross for that. Jesus came to set you free from that. Brothers, sisters, dear Christians, Jesus owns your sin, so stop trying to own it yourself. Your sin in the past, your sin in the present, your sin in the future. This is the good news. Jesus is this kind of Passover lamb. He's the very son of God who can take away the sins of the world, and he offers you freedom if you truly believe in him. There is good news for us today, and this is what it means to learn what it means to be loved by him. And in talking about all of this, often we kind of talk about what Jesus does, right? But I want to pause and just kind of talk about what was his point of view through all of these events, right? We got in the sandals of Judas, but if we were to step in with Jesus and kind of see these events the way he did, what would we see? And, and the author of Hebrews actually doesn't leave us guessing. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Did you hear that? The writer of Hebrews says, For the joy set before him, meaning what was coursing through Jesus' veins when he got betrayed by not just Judas, but by all of us, when he stepped into the penalty for that betrayal, what was coursing through his veins was joy. He wasn't mumbling under his breath as he walked to the cross saying, man, if only that Judas Iscariot would get his act together. Man, if only John would have it together. If only Mary would stop making those mistakes. No, it says for the joy set before him. Do you see Jesus in that kind of way? Do you see him strung up on the cross, gripping nails with joy? Because it's his Father's will that he might step into the wrath of God on your behalf and offer you a new life. Jesus has joy when he goes to the cross. Jesus has joy when he steps into our betrayal so that he might offer us a new life. And I want to invite you to step into this really life-changing truth today and, and we're going to kind of close in a, in a moment, but before we close this message and kind of transition into worship, I just want to mention something that happened recently that I think really has to do with what we're talking about this morning. Uh, Wilmore, Kentucky is home of Asbury University. About a month ago, a revival broke out there. Uh, you probably read about it. There was a lot of worship, a lot of confessing of sin, a lot of prayer. And something started to happen at this revival uh, on repeat. People would get up, and they would start to confess their sin. And I'm talking about really ugly stuff, right? Stuff that you would be ashamed to even admit to yourself. But they confess their sin in front of a room of about a thousand plus. And after each person confessed their sin, the entire room would respond in unison, telling them something. I want you to hear the words that were echoed through that room numerous times. So right after someone confessed their sin, the entire room of a thousand plus people would say these words. The blood of Jesus forgives you. I, I just want you to feel that moment. Imagine you standing up in front of this group of people and admitting something. Right? Admitting, I've betrayed God, I've betrayed my neighbor, I have messed up in a huge way. And then hearing everyone look back at you and say, the blood of Jesus forgives you. That's beautiful, but let me ask you a question. What gave that room, right, there was a thousand plus people, the audacity to say such a thing, the courage to speak on Jesus' behalf in such a way, 
Say, no matter what you've done, no matter how you betrayed God, no matter how you betrayed your family, your coworkers, how you betrayed your neighbors, right? The blood of Jesus can still forgive you. What gave that room such courage? I'll tell you why. It's because on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he took wine and he gave it to his disciples. He gave it to his betrayers. And he said, there's a new promise on the table. It's me for you. My body, my blood given so that you might have a new story, so that you might have a new life, so that you might have a relationship with God that's not marked by his wrath, but a relationship that's marked by his forgiveness. This is what it means to be loved by Jesus. And I'm going to invite you to that table this morning. We're about to close in worship, and it's, it's a really beautiful thing to be able to take the elements of bread, and not wine, because we don't do that here, but juice. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take communion with one another, because communion is really this reflection of Jesus' last supper with his disciples. And in doing so, right, with the bread and the juice, I want you to hear a testimony spoken over you to hear that the beauty of God has overwhelmed your betrayal. And in doing so, he's invited you into a life of learning what it means to be loved by his son, Jesus. So when you pick up this bread and this juice, know that you pick it up with millions of Christians who've been doing this for thousands of years because they needed to remind themselves that Jesus really meant what he said, that all of him for all of us really Works. It really transforms. So I'm going to pray now. Our worship team is going to come up, and then I'm going to explain more about how we're going to partake in communion with one another. So bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord. Father, thank you for inviting us into a moment like this. Thank you for this time together to sing truth, to hear out of your God's, out of your word, and to be changed by it. Lord, I pray that as we move into a time of worship by taking the bread and the juice, Lord, that you would remind us of this meal that Jesus had with his disciples. That you would remind us of the promise that he gave us. That it's all of him for all of us. And it's truly true. Lord, what you did on the cross, what you did by raising from the dead, confirmed it all. So Lord, would this be an act of worship? Would this be pleasing to you? And would you keep teaching us what it means to be loved by you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.